you know, we're a checklist. My name's Chris, by the way, and I'm, I, before I get into everything, I'm one of the pastors here. So glad to have you here. But we're a checklist culture, aren't we? How many of you like checklist? How many of you hate checklist? Okay, so most of us are checklist kind of people. You know, I listen, I'm kind of nerdy. I listen to a lot of business and leadership audiobooks because I don't have the patience to read them, uh, but I like to listen to them. And they all offer more ways to get things done. Everyone thinks they have the best way in the world to get more done. From grade school on, we're programmed to cram in as much to our days as possible, aren't we? Many of our, our uh, parents over-programmed us when we were younger. Any of you out there over, you know, helicopter over-programming parents where they had you in three or four sports every year? You had dance lessons, piano lessons, tutoring, and all the rest, just way over-programmed. Uh, then when you get to high school, many of us did as much as we possibly could. You know, if a teacher tells you that you should consider speech club, before you know it, you're in a suit sitting down giving the news every morning, uh, which was me, and I did not enjoy that. But somehow I got roped into that. The basketball coach spotted your height and your talent, and before you knew it, you were playing year-round basketball. Productivity is a good thing as long as we prioritize first things first above all else. And I believe this is an important thing to consider this time of year. This new year, the Lord would have us challenge one another with the greater, eternal, most life-giving choices we can make. And that's to enjoy the Lord and walk with him. We started last week looking at the fruit of the Spirit that's given to us at salvation by the Holy Spirit. You could also call these characteristics described in Galatians as the new DNA, spiritual DNA that Jesus has given us. That the DNA of Christ is imparted to us when he saves us at salvation. Let's read about them in Galatians 5, verse 22. Galatians 5, verse 22. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. We also said that last week that while Christ has imparted his DNA to us at salvation, we still need to choose it. In other words, our will is involved in the process of choosing these nine characteristics that make up the fruit of the Spirit, the character of Christ. We still have a free will given to us at salvation. We're not robots, and we can either choose to embrace the character of Christ or walk away from it. Before Christ, we don't have a choice. We're trapped in our sin. But after receiving Christ, we have a choice now that we're freed from sin. Sometimes it feels like we don't have a choice, doesn't it? I feel like the enemy tries to tempt God's people with discouragement more than any other temptation. We can feel like we're never going to be able to read the Bible consistently. We're never going to be able to love. Because we make it about us in self-improvement instead of taking hold of the discipline that we have in Christ. Specifically, we have the choice now to choose love instead of selfishness, peace instead of worry and anxiety, forbearance instead of impatience and impulsivity, kindness instead of hate and self-interest, goodness instead of lust and greed, faithfulness instead of fickleness, and self-control instead of self-indulgence. And we read last week, just as a reminder, 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, it says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. 
So we are to do our best in our efforts to please God. We're to work hard at it. It's hard work, but now we can do it in Christ. But it's not the grit your teeth and bear it kind of will that LeBron James used to become one of the best basketball players of all time or the will that the Beatles applied to countless hours and countless bars to become arguably the best band of all time or the effort of a man in 2009 named Simon Elmore from the UK who put 400 straws into his mouth at once without using his hand, setting a world record and kept them in there for 10 seconds. That's amazing. I mean, it's quite the picture, you know, 400 straws. That's hard work, but it's not the kind of application of will that God's speaking to, that he's given us in Christ. We're given a picture of how our will works with our new DNA. Again, as review, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So he's given us a power to walk out the godly life that we're called to live. It says, through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. We said that In our new nature, Christ has given us everything we need for a godly life. We can claim that. Even when it seems like our discipline is far, far, far from being sufficient enough to walk in Christ. Because we're not working with with our own discipline. We're working with his. And it says in verse 5, For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith. So the fruit of the Spirit is not some distant utopia for super-Christians. Jesus has placed this amazing life within our grasp. And we can make every effort to follow him because he's given us everything we need for a godly life. Last week, we talked about the choice to love. And this week, we go into the second quality listed in the fruit of the Spirit. The second choice we're empowered by God to make, we can choose joy. Did you know that? We can choose joy. So again, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. These characteristics describe what we have available to us in Christ. This is who we are. It's our choice now to take hold of those things, or to leave it like the best gift left wrapped. Human nature is built for joy like a car is built for the road, like a fish is built to swim. Most people would say that a synonym for joy is happiness, wouldn't they? But we know that they're very different. Joy is a characteristic reserved for those who know and love Jesus, whereas happiness is based on circumstances. The reason why a Christian can have joy is because our joy is not based on circumstances. It's based on a relationship with a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. But it makes sense that the world tries to find happiness, doesn't it? Because we have this vacuum 
that is created in us by God that we will throw everything under the sun into to try to find happiness until we find him. And you would think that if any country on the earth could be happy, it would be Americans. Doesn't it? Wouldn't that make sense? Because we have everything that the world says will give you happiness. We have stuff, money, opportunity, and so on. But as of 2011, depression affects more than 19% of American adults. I'm sure it's higher now. And anxiety disorders more than 40 million or 18% of the population. A 2016 federal data analysis found that suicide rates in America had surged to their highest level in 30 years, rising in that period by 63% among middle-aged women and 43% of men among that same age. A worldwide study of 90,000 people showed the 10 richest countries in the world also had the highest rates of depression, the United States second only to France. This tells us that joy and happiness aren't dependent on wealth and circumstances. Those who have the most reason to be joyful are often the most depressed. Alex de Tocqueville in Democracy in America in 1835 wrote one of the most influential books of the 19th century, and he diagnosed our broken pursuit of happiness with this single line, we have a strange melancholy in the midst of abundance. The point is, no matter how good our circumstances are, happiness eludes us, doesn't it? I mean, it's like my, I'm reminded of my kids when they were really, really little, like let's say two years old, and they're swimming in the pool, and it's time to go home for the day. And they're slathered down in sunscreen, you know, and I'm trying to pick them up, and it's like I'm trying to, you know, grab a, a greased porpoise and get it out of the water. You know, it's like, I want to stay for 10 more minutes, you know, and you're, so, yeah, and that's what it's like. And Gretchen Rubin resonates with this elusive quality that happiness brings that we wrestle with daily. She was living what anyone would call a good life. She had a great husband, two daughters, a great relationship with family and friends, an enjoyable career, a nice home, and good health. But even in light of all these great things, she often felt angry, melancholy, insecure, guilt-ridden, and upset by minor setbacks that shouldn't have bothered her as much as they did. Then one day, while riding the bus, Gretchen looked out the window and realized she was caught on a treadmill. She felt as if life was slipping by and she wasn't enjoying it. She, she wasn't depressed and she wasn't in a midlife crisis. It was more like a feeling of deep discontent that something absolutely critical was missing. Maybe that's how you feel tonight. As she looked out the rain-streaked bus windows, she asked herself, what do I want from life anyway? What is it that I really think I'm after? And the answer came back quickly. Well, I want to be happy. She was gripped with the real fear that she would never find happiness. She decided that she wasn't focusing on the right things in her life, so she spent a, real, uh, a year retooling her life so that she could pursue happiness. She hoped that this would raise her up out of the malaise that seemed to be stealing her quest for lasting happiness. She studied philosophers and famous authors like Plato, Thoreau, Bertrand Russell, Oprah, the Dalai Lama, Buddha, Tolstoy, and Virginia Woolf. Her conclusion was pursued with tremendous focus and passion, but it was in no way new or novel. 
Many self-help books have come to the same conclusion for decades. Like many others, she came to the belief that we can build happiness into our life through simple behavior modification, such as discipline, aiming high, good habits, positive outlook, passion, contemplation, and willed contentment. Retchen wrote about her journey in a book that I've listened to on tape called The Happiness Project. It's a dumb book. Uh, but many are on the hunt for happiness because her book spent two years on the New York Times bestseller list. Two years. Gretchen was right to pursue happiness, but she was trying to find it in the wrong relationship. She thought that happiness would come through self-actualization, or you could say a good relationship with herself. Hence, discipline, aiming high, good habits, positive outlook, passion, contemplation, and willed contentment. But true joy is found in a relationship, and it's not with ourselves. It's with Jesus Christ, the author of joy. The elusive nature of happiness will always ebb and flow for those who don't know Jesus because it's based on our circumstances. But joy is a gift that the believer can choose. It's like a tool. You can pick it up and you can use it. So joy is a gift to be used. Salvation is a tremendous gift that carries with it great joy. Jesus came that we might be saved, and the New Testament is, is filled with examples of joy accompanying salvation, both for those who receive Christ and for those who are involved in the process. Luke 15 tells three stories of precious things that are lost and then found to be illustrations of salvation, and they're all accompanied with great joy. And the first in the lineup is really interesting. Jesus is around all these tax collectors and sinners that were considered the lowest of the low. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders who had tremendous influence asked Jesus, why would you hang around all these scumbags? And Jesus then shares a story with these leaders of a shepherd who left his allotment of 100 sheep to pursue the one that got away. And in Luke chapter 15, verse 7, Jesus says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent. In the second, a woman has 10 coins and loses one, and, and when it's found, her friends come together and they all rejoice. In Luke 15, verse 10, it says, In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The third is the longest and the one you've probably heard about, the story of the prodigal son. You've got two sons who are a part of a wealthy family, and the youngest son decides one day that he wants his share of the inheritance now, in effect saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. So he asks his dad for his inheritance, and he gets it, and he spends his money raising hell on a party lifestyle, and soon the money runs out, and the friends leave because they were only attached to the money, and he finds himself hungry and filthy, and thinking to himself, if I can just go back to my father and get him to hire me on as a slave, as a servant, then maybe I'll be able to put food in my mouth. And while he's a long way off, it says that the dad does something really surprising. Dad runs to him, which would be a very undignified thing for an older man to do in that time. He runs to them, and then the father uh, throws the best of clothes on him. He throws him a big, huge party and invites all of his friends. And the older brother, who had been responsible and faithful and dutiful to dad, questions his dad's commitment to this rebel son. And this is what 
the dad who represents our father and the author of joy says. In Luke 15, verse 31, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. There's joy in our salvation, but we must take hold of it. What that means is we share the gospel just as much for us as we do our hearers because we need to hear it and we need to see its power because with salvation comes great joy. And that's why we're to preach the gospel to ourselves every day and remember when Jesus separated us from our sins as far as the east is from the west and the word says he remembers our sins no more. We see this joy during our baptism services, don't we? Especially for those of you who are a part of leading that person to Christ or helping them grow in their faith. I mean, there's not a dry eye in the house. It's just, it's a little taste of heaven, isn't it? Baptism, last Sunday of every month. If you want to get baptized, talk to me, talk to Kimball, talk to your home group leader, and definitely talk to God about it because you need to do it if you know Jesus. Can I pass on some really good news to you guys? Can I do that? Oh, yes, good, good. You know, I mean, of course, that's what we're here for, right? I mean, I shouldn't even have to ask you that question. It's a dumb question. God wants us to experience joy now. He wants it so bad for us, and he wants us to experience it for all of eternity. He wants it. God wants us to be joyful When Paul writes to the Roman church about how to deal with personal convictions, things that are not black and white in God's word, he speaks to the issue of food. And if you remember from our Roman series, he speaks specifically to Jewish dietary laws that Jewish Christians were trying to push on the Gentiles, saying that they too had to obey these laws. So there's this big question about dietary laws. And in Romans 14, 17, Paul says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is about joy. That's what it's about. When Jesus turned water into wine at the first wedding, people have contemplated and researched why he did that. I can tell you why he did it. It's very clear. It's a theme throughout Scripture. Jesus turned water into wine for one reason, to announce his kingdom is a kingdom of joy that every party and celebration is just a mere shadow of, just a mere taste, and it's ours for the taking. Like describing the weather and scenery of a city, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of joy, and we are citizens. Whether it feels like God's kingdom is a kingdom of joy right now in our lives or not, the only thing separating us if we know and love Jesus is claiming and walking in the promises that he gives us in Scripture, especially when life doesn't feel joyful. Late Christian author Lewis Smead says of joy, you and I were created for joy, and if we miss it, we miss the reason for our existence. If you are not experiencing joy, if I'm not experiencing joy tonight, we are treading water. And we're like a frog trying to fly. It is never going to happen if we're trying to find joy in anything other than Jesus Christ. The sign of a weak pulmonary system could be chronic asthma. The sign of an unhealthy heart could be shortness of breath. And these signs should alarm us. But even more alarming should be the lack of joy. 
The believer with a grim outlook and lack of joy in Christ is experiencing a system failure, and it should move us to action because the enemy's trying to steal what's rightfully ours in Christ. He died that we might have it, but we have to use it. We have to choose it. Jesus addresses joy when speaking to his disciples just prior to his crucifixion in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. He says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you. Don't gloss over that. So that my joy, the joy of Jesus Christ, may be in you. That your joy may be complete. The very joy of the author of joy himself, undiluted, 100%, genuine article, life-giving joy is ours in Christ. And joy, it says here, is Christ's ultimate work in us. His ultimate desire, his ultimate joy, his ultimate goal for us is for us to walk in this joy. And it's also commanded. In Philippians 4, verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. You know, there are over 400 references in the Bible to joy. Did you know that? It's a lot. It's a lot. But just in Philippians, which is the letter of joy, it's a book we should all read because it speaks to joy. Just in that little four-chapter book, the word rejoiced is used nine times and the word joy is used four times. And keep in mind, Paul's writing this letter from prison. So his joy was not based on circumstances. He had another well he was drawing from. And it was Jesus Christ because the name Jesus appears 40 times in a four-chapter letter. So when the cell was dark, he reflected on Christ. When the nights were long and he felt lonely, his focus was on his promises. When hunger and thirst threatened him, his comfort was in Christ. When your loneliness is drowning you, when despair seems to be stealing every good thing from your life, you too can reflect on his promises. It seems counterintuitive to rejoice when you're sad, but it lifted Paul out of prison, and it can lift up us up out of our discouragement and despair as well, can it? This supernatural joy made available to us in Christ can be found in places where happiness simply cannot breathe. It cannot survive. Joy in trials and discouragement, where happiness is scarce. Even in the midst of persecution, Jesus knew his, that he knew his disciples would face. He comforts them and gives them an unbelievable promise in Luke chapter 6, verse 22. He says to his disciples, blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. For that's how their ancestors treated the prophets. So even those who uh, have been, are being right now, and will be persecuted more for their faith than any of us in this room could ever possibly dream of, even then, joy is not far. There is no circumstance divorced of joy in Christ. We divorce ourselves from joy. Jesus doesn't. And then in James chapter 1, verse 2, it says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. It says various trials, so that means every brand, big ones, small ones, trials of depression, trials of temptation, financial woes and relational snags, all of them, we can count as joy. But we have to make the choice. In a culture of constant amusement 
and instant gratification. It's hard to understand joy and suffering, isn't it? Isn't that what we try to avoid with, with every ounce of energy and almost every dollar we have? We want to, we want to uh, avoid suffering. But often in an attempt to keep anything uncomfortable from touching us, we miss the very thing, though painful, that God wants to use to lead us to joy. The worst thing we can do in times of suffering, whether it's you're bored with God's word, something that simple, or you feel like your, your prayer life is dry and stale, or it feels like your heart for people is as cold as one of the rocks sitting outside right now, or something as complicated as it feels like you keep falling into the same sin over and over, you're hopelessly addicted and it's ruining your life, or whatever in between. The loss of a loved one, the loss of a relationship that you treasure, whatever it is, we can choose joy. Joy is ours for the taking, and we already have it, and I want to share now with the rest of our time how we grab hold of it, how we walk the path of joy. The path to joy, surrender to Christ. Colossians 1.17 says, He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. We're made to run on the joy of Christ. Anything else will leave us wanting. C.S. Lewis said it best almost 70 years ago now. He said, a car is made to run on petrol, and it would not run properly on anything else. Now God designed the human machine to run on himself. He himself is the fuel for our spirits were designed to burn, or the food our spirits were designed to feed on. There is no other. That's why it's just no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it's not there. There is no such thing. No joy without Jesus is Lewis's point. Give him control of your life and your circumstances and wherever you're at right now in this moment, and joy is ours. Along the path of joy, we need something else as well. We need God's word. And I want to encourage you, if the word of God is dry, and we're entering a season where many of us fall into this malaise that we've read about, that's not depression, not necessarily some sort of crisis, but where our walk with God and our love for others becomes stale, get in God's word, listen to this, and read Philippians. There's many prayers in there about joy and rejoicing. And simply make those prayers your own. Apply them to your own circumstances. Put your name in those prayers. Put Awaken's name in those prayers. If you put gas in your car, it runs. If you pray God's promises of joy, you'll be filled with joy. Another path to joy is prayer. In John 16, verse 24, again, near the end of Jesus' ministry before his crucifixion and resurrection, Jesus says, Until now you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Again, joy doesn't feel natural. When we're sad, does it? I mean, it's one thing for us to talk about this when we're together and we're all pumped up. I mean, I don't know if you're pumped up tonight, but when I talk of these promises, it fills me when I'm together with my brothers and sisters with joy in a way that I can't get when I'm by myself because God blesses the gathering of the saints, doesn't he? Isn't it a joy? Isn't it awesome to be together here? But then we walk out of here and we get home and it's like, man, all I got to do is take this little remote and hit that red button that says Netflix. And it's going to make me feel pretty good for about 45 minutes when we feel the Spirit calling our name and we hear him. 
It doesn't seem natural when we feel sad or when we feel numb or we feel bored. But I love the story of Johnny Erickson Tata. She's handicapped and she shares, shares her testimony of prayer through suffering. Maybe some of you have heard this. Johnny said some women wanted to know how she could look so happy in her wheelchair. I don't do it, she said. In fact, may I tell you honestly how I woke up this morning? This is an average day. I breathe deeply. After my husband, Kim, Ken, leaves for work at 6 a.m., I'm alone until I hear the front door open at 7 a.m. That's when a friend arrives to get me up. While I listen to her make coffee, I pray. Oh, Lord, my friend will soon give me a bath, get me dressed, sit me up in my chair, brush my hair and teeth, and send me out the door. I don't have the strength to face this routine one more time. I have no resources. I don't have a smile to take into the day, but you do. May I have yours? God, I need you so desperately. So what happens when your friend comes through the bedroom door, one of them asks. I turn my head toward her and Give her a smile sent straight from heaven. It's not mine, it's God's. So I I said, gesturing to my paralyzed legs, whatever you see, whatever joy you see today was hard won this morning by Jesus Christ. Do you see how she interacted with God? She didn't pray for a better version of herself. Her pursuit of joy was radically different from Gretchen Rubin's in The Happiness Project. Whereas Gretchen found it in attempting to find and develop a better version of herself through behavior modification, Johnny ran after a relationship with the author of joy. Christ in her was her prayer. I'm discouraged. I'm depressed. I feel isolated. But Jesus I know that you promise never to leave me or forsake me. Can I have your comfort in your presence today, though I feel alone? Finally, the path to joy is to share yourself with others. In the parable of the lost sheep, the shepherd said to his friends, Rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. Then the woman who lost her coin upon finding it says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In Romans 12, 15, we're told to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. You know, I think sometimes we do the mourning part okay, mourning with those who mourn at this church, but rejoicing with those who rejoice. I just found out that a good friend of mine was going to be able to take a really cool trip that him and his wife are super excited to take after a year of suffering. I think I literally, literally, I think I'm more excited than he is. It's all I can think about. Rejoice with those who rejoice. The redemptive quality of joy is felt most acutely when we sacrifice for others, both in the giver and the receiver. As we sacrifice for our brothers and sisters, and then we see God working in their lives, it's it's as if he's done it in our life because we're one. In Christ, so your joy is my joy. Your suffering is my suffering. You know, the Lundquist family experienced this kind of joy through sharing in a pretty spectacular way on the way home from Faith Walkers. And this is going to steal the show. You're not going to remember a dang word I've said, and that is absolutely fine because this is an amazing story. So I want to invite Nate and Witt up to share. 
Do I got to hold it down? There we go. Hey, um, yeah, so Chris told me to try to keep it to like five minutes, and I timed myself while telling it to someone else today, and it was like about six hours, so we should be good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I, a lot of details will get left out because it's an insane story, but essentially what happened is our family uh, went down to Faith Walkers. It's been a long time since we've been able to go to Faith Walkers. Um, and because we've got a growing family and everything. And so we, um, we have three, three kids, and we piled into our van, went down there. Uh, it was amazing and really was, like, pumped up, but also, like, had a really, I don't know, the, the year leading up to it was kind of, like, a low point spiritually, you could say. And Faith Walkers was, like, a really great seed toward, like, the Lord, um, and so we leave Faith Walkers, um, and I'm just kind of like wondering what the Lord's going to do with us the next year. Um, and so in, basically an hour and a half uh, into our journey home, we're just cruising down the highway, and all of a sudden all the lights in our van come on um, really eerily, and then all of the dials just drop dead on the freeway, and I can't see anything, like mileage or speed or anything like that. We're just cruising down the freeway with uh, my whole family in the van. And so, it's a really good feeling. So I pulled off um, and managed to get to like a Dairy Queen. Um, we're sitting there trying to wonder what to do. We called the Kimballs because they had left uh, a little bit before us, but it turns out they were on a different route. They were like three hours away from where we were. So we're trying to figure out what to do. I call a shop. Guy comes out, tells me it's this really obscure part that our van needs that if he can even find it, it'll take it, it'll, he can fix it the next day. So now we're thinking, okay, we got to find a place to stay tonight. And we were really looking forward to celebrating the new year with a lot of people. And so it was getting very uh, sad at this point. Um, and this guy, Richard, walks up to us and he introduces himself and he's like trying to figure out what's going on with us. And asking how I can help, and eventually he just looks at me in the eyes, and he's like, are you saved? And I was like, absolutely. And then he looked at Whitney, and he asked the same thing, and he got so pumped when he found out that we were Christians, and he's like, okay, like, and he just started going on about the Lord, just bubbling over with joy, and he was like, okay, how can I help you guys? And he's just thinking through all the practicals, and he decides, he's like, I got a trailer at my cabin. It's nearby. I'll go get my trailer, and we'll put your van on it so that we can, like, get it to a shop or wherever we need to do, and we'll, we'll get it fixed. And I was like, okay, this is amazing. And so he, um, he takes off, and Whitney and I are, like, at this Dairy Queen unloading the van, and a number of people come up to us uh, giving us, like, money because we look like hobos with all our kids and our stuff, like, just <laughs> dumped on the, uh, on the sidewalk. And a, guy, a pastor comes by and prays with us, and... Um, then Richard calls me and he's like, hey, you're never going to believe this. But while I was driving down the road, I saw a truck that already had a trailer attached. And the, the Lord told me to, to like wave these people down. So, <laughs> so I, I waved them down and they rolled down their window and I just say, are you guys Christians? And they were like, yeah, we are Christians. And, <laughs> um, and so then Richard is like, okay, well, the Lord told me to wave your truck down because there's this family that really needs our help. Are you guys available? And they're like, yeah, let's go. And so Richard's like, so get your van ready because we're coming for you. And so 
while I'm waiting for Richard, also, um, you know, previously Kimball was, I, I had called him to see if, like, where they were on the route, and I called him back because he wanted to know what was going on with us, and I just said, like, I asked him, like, would you guys be willing to, like, come to where we are and just, like, you know, endure this with us, basically, and they, without hesitation, uh, just were all in. I mean, there were three hours on a different route, and I don't, I don't say this to, like, give the glory to the Kimball family, but the, the sharing their joy with us was an enormous part of this whole journey, because they came to where we were and, and rode the whole thing out. Um, so, they, they meet up with, or, let's see, Richard comes back, there's all these moving parts, Richard comes back with this other family, and they got their trailer, and this is Al and his wife, and they, of course, uh, own a uh, shop, an auto shop, and Al is a mechanic, and so he starts looking at my car, and he's like, oh, this actually isn't what that other guy said it was, we, I can fix it tomorrow, and so he loads up the, our van on his trailer, and I hop in with Richard, and we go to Richard's cabin, and at this point, I'm thinking, where am I going, like, what am I doing, like, I, um, I don't know this guy at all. He's dressed like really shabby. Um, and so we, but he's got like a nice truck. So I was like, all right, whatever. And so we go to, we go to his cabin and he's got this amazing, beautiful cabin on this hillside in North Carolina. And uh, we drop off the van and Richard's like, okay, here, I want you to take my Ford Expedition. Here are the keys. You load up your family in it. You guys just like enjoy the the town and the night and whatever, I'll, I'll let you know tomorrow when the van is ready. And so take his truck, get all my family in it. We meet up with the Kimballs, ring in the new year at this, like, this cool hotel there in the area. And they just really, um, it was just a really, really special time. We met, <laughs> this is another bonus to the whole story. We met this other family in the lobby while we were just like hanging out, waiting for midnight. And this uh, husband and wife, and they, offered, they, they found out we were Christians, and they were as well, and they offered to let us stay in their house that they had. They had a vacant house nearby. We didn't end up taking them up on it, but it just was crazy how, like, just things were just happening constantly. Um, so the next day, we go, Richard texts me and says, the van's ready. We go back, and Al tells me, like, it's not actually, it wasn't what we thought it was, but we, we there was this bracket that broke, and Richard took it to some other guy, and he welded it for free for you. And so we got the new bracket on. I, by the way, I put a new timing bell on your van. Um, and then he, then he, so he's got this itemized invoice. Um, and he's just walking me through everything he did. And as he's walking over to his truck, he says, Nate, we love you. And he just rips the invoice to pieces and th- hucks all the shreds into his van or in his truck. And then... Al and his wife, Richard and his wife, just filled with joy the whole time, by the way. Like, they just constantly just kept, like, laughing and were just, like, loving the opportunity to just share, like, in the, in the trial, in the suffering with us. So, and there were several points that, along the way when they would just look us in the eye and just say, God loves you so much. And, like, and just, like, how special we are to him. And they were just, I mean, it was insane. It was just dumping it on, and then uh, both of their families surrounded uh, the Kimball family and us and just prayed for us and uh, sent us on our way, and, and while even on the trip, like later on in the trip, they both independently, without knowing it, both called us 
to make sure everything was going okay. They said, if the van has any issues, you call us and we'll come get you. Um, and yeah, I mean, the whole experience was insane, but it was, I, I, I needed it. Like, it was something that was so personal from the Lord through the body of believers to me in a way that was, um, it just impacted me so much because it was just so clearly like God's hand reaching out to me. And I actually, I texted Richard um, this afternoon and said, hey, like, uh, my pastor asked me to share this story tonight, so I'm going to share it. And, uh, and he, was, he just said, like, just whatever you do, don't give me the glory. Like, it's not, the story's not about me. Um, and so uh, I just want to make sure that, yeah, it's all to him. Um, and it's just, it was such a cathartic experience just to see the church in, in its, like, in its greatness because of how, like, these people came to our help in a time of trial because of the joy the Lord has given them. And just, yeah, so that's the story. Thank you, guys. It's so amazing. So amazing. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it. Well said. Kimball, you go ahead and come on up now if you're ready. When a Christian is filled with joy, then they share it through sacrificing for others. You know, the Lundquist will tell their grandkids about this, won't they? I mean, that's not normal for dude to come up, basically give you 12 hours of labor, hundreds and hundreds of dollars of free stuff for your car, and then on the way to get a tow vehicle, wave down someone going 75 miles an hour. Are you a Christian? <laughs> and then when they say yes, why don't you pull over? You know, and then this is not normal. But when we do this, the sacrifice that Richard made, it filled the Lundquist with joy. They will not remember probably anything said at Faith Walkers. <laughs> just being honest, I know my experience. They will remember that. I mean, I love faith walkers. I just don't have a good memory. Our memories are short. But we remember acts like that, don't we? We remember what people do in Jesus' name to show us that we're loved, that we're worth pursuing, we're worth sacrificing for. Jesus tells us that the type of sacrifice we have for one another should be so intense that we're willing to die for one another. And that's what Richard showed. And it filled, when I heard it, I thought, man, I want as many people I know as possible to know, especially those who know the Lundquist, that the Lord is using his people to show us joy. And he wants to use you and he wants to use me to show joy. And when we get caught up in all our own stuff and we don't claim the joy we have in Christ, we miss the opportunity to love sacrificially in ways like Richard did. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. We thank you that you are the author of joy, Lord, that it is ours for the taking. And I pray that you would remind us, Lord, to grab hold of it often. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to take our offering now and time for those who are regular with us to give. Don't forget to throw your prayer request in the offering basket. And when the service ends tonight, we're going to have prayer for anybody who would like it. We'll have our prayer team come up, but just over in this corner right here. So your left-hand corner right here, we'll have uh, the prayer team set up, and you can uh, pursue prayer. If the Lord's doing something 
in your life if you want to respond to him in some way, worship him with another believer, request something of him with another believer, you can do that tonight.